Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, hi, thank you all for coming. Wow, it looks like fall in this room. So, fun fact about me, I'm pretty sure I have strep throat, so do not come up to me and hug me, um, or talk to, no, I'm just kidding, you can talk to me. But um, if I have to take a drink between, or I have to sit down, or if I pass out on the floor, you know what's happened. Um, Ethan is a best man in a wedding, or something like that, so he won't be here tonight, but he'll be here next week. Um, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 9, so we're just going to go from 9, and then we'll do verses, or chapter 11 next week. And so what we're going to do, and I'm just going to apologize in advance, this passage is, this chapter in Ecclesiastes is very esoteric, very crazy, so um, if you have any questions, talk to me after. Um, it's going to be pretty complicated, and we're going to go through it together. So if you have your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 1 through 6. Um, and we'll start there. Now Solomon's saying, But this, all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil that all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to us all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But for he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So, there's a lot here, but first we're going to focus on the universality. Well, we'll ask a question, actually. When Solomon says, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. What is he talking about there? They're like, that's what we pay you for. Yeah, sure. What, what is Solomon talking about when he says the same event happens to all? We all die. Good. Perfect. We all die, right? And Solomon says, that's weird. So God exists, but this person doesn't believe God exists and he dies. God exists, but this person does believe God exists and he dies. So where is the favor, you know? Where is the God is showing these people, oh, well, I exist, this is, this is the existence, this is the proof. He sees that death is the final caveat, that death is the final realizer. He sees that from our human perspective, it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad or righteous or unrighteous or you sacrifice or you don't, which was kind of the Hebrew way of measuring righteousness. Um, it doesn't matter, we're all gonna eventually die. He says the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. And I had no idea what that meant while I was preparing, and I thought, that has to mean something. So I looked up on a commentary what it meant. And what the, they were saying is that for like the same person, the same event, it, it's hard to, 
When Jesus, uh, when they show Jesus the man born blind and they say to Jesus, who sinned, Rabbi, this man or his parents, right? What does Jesus say? It was neither the man or his parents who sinned, but so that the works of God might be revealed in him, right? And so what that meant is that just because something happens to you doesn't mean God's displeased with you, right? Just because something bad happens doesn't mean God's angry. And on the flip side, just because something good happens to you doesn't mean that God's happy. Doesn't mean that God's like, yeah, go, get on it, buddy, right? Um, and I'm going to say this, right? Joel Olstein's church is the largest church in America. Does that mean God is pleased with Joel Olstein because he has a lot of people, right? So take that to account. Or when a righteous person gets hammered and hammered and hammered, right, and a good family loses a child or a good family has something bad happen to them, does that mean God's angry? No, not necessarily, right? And so Solomon says it's hard to see what is actually kindness and what's, when what's not. He says, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, both of the events happen to the same. Solomon's saying you can't discern God's favor from what's going on in, our, in your life. And that's true for us today, right? Just because something bad happens, you know, I have strep throat. What, do, what did I sin that I need to repent of, right? Maybe not. Um, sometimes you just get strep throat. Um, and that's the way that life is, is where um, our life um, doesn't necessarily mean what we're doing means God's happy or not. And so that's what Solomon's saying here. And he looks at the fact that life is, in fact, better than death. And he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. I need to take a drink of water. I'm going to marker ruby it up right here. Okay. And so I always was confused about that. Secondly, because I was like, a living dog is better than a dead lion, right? Are we saying, like, that little dogs are better than lions? Like, what are we saying here? And so I told you it was weird, and so we're going to go into it. And by that, Solomon means, when I have a lion, right, if, is that on the slide, maybe one back, the living dog is better than a dead lion? When we have what's going on here, you notice what he says, these people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead, but... He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. How many of you have a pet or had a pet when you were a kid? Okay, how many of you had a dog when you were a kid, and that's the pet you had? Okay, that's not the type of dog Solomon's talking about. In uh, the ancient Near East, when there were dogs, it wasn't like a dog that came into your house, and you're like, oh, little dickens, you know, and rubbed them around. That wasn't the dog. These dogs were on the streets, scavengers, full of disease. I remember I went to Mexico in ninth grade, and I was, I didn't know Spanish, I didn't know anything, and there was this little cat running around. And it was so sad because these Hispanic kids that we were ministering with, they would see this cat and just kick it, kick it, kick it. And they, you know, it wasn't like a heavy, like, punt kick, you know. It was like more like a, they were just like tapping it out of the way. And I was like, stop, stop. You know, they didn't understand. And so I picked up this cat and so skinny and so frail. I'm petting in its skin so coarse. The interpreter comes up to me and he says, I won't let you pick that up if you were my kid. And I said, you aren't, Grandpa. No, I didn't. But I said, uh, why? He's like, because those cats have diseases. And it, it, nobody cares for them, so they have diseases. Then they just kind of run around. And you don't really know where that cat's been, right, in the suburban streets of Mexico. He might be right. And so that's kind of the way, you know, the way that that cat had interacted in Mexico is kind of the way they looked at dogs back then. Scavengers scrounging around, not the best type of house pet at that point, right? And then you have the lion, 
the king of the beasts, the king of the savannah, you know, run, no, no, no creature attack is going to attack a lion, right? The lion's going to attack the zebra. You never see a zebra like, oh, watch this, buddy, you know, right? Why? Because the lion is the king of the beasts. And so Solomon says, you have two things here. You have this eminent image of nobility, this perfect, this beautiful, this huge lion. Then you have this little scroungy dog, you know, which one is better, right? And to that audience, it would have been like the lion. He's like, okay, you're right, sure. But the lion's dead and the dog's alive. You're like, oh, right? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're this great, you know, person because from our human perspective, when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. So when, what he means by that is he's talking about the highness of virtue that we would carry around. You know, you want to tell people how good you are and show them. Uh, the living dog is better than a dead lion. And he kind of talks, talks through that as he talks about kind of what the final caveat of death is actually. Um, and so then we are going to go through these next three verses. And so you're like, well, those are confusing. These are even more confusing. And so we're going to do them a verse at a time. Verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Gosh, that's a great verse. So now has God, does God give blanket approval to everything that you do as a person? Good, I, I get one head nod. I'm okay with that, right? No, that would negate most of, not all the Bible, and negate a lot of Ecclesiastes if we said that God's just up in heaven kind of like, sure, sure, do whatever you want, right? God loves you enough to not do that. But what does Solomon mean by that? That means that, that somebody who is living righteously, who's living with God's gifts in mind, and enjoying the gifts, you know, <clears throat> I, there was a big point in uh, church history where you were thought to be more religious if you abstained from things, right? So they would have these pole sitters who would sit on the tops of poles and the people would bring them up food and stuff and they were like, the more uncomfortable I can be sitting on top of here, the closer I'll be to God's favor. And so they would put themselves in these horribly uncomfortable positions because they thought the more uncomfortable I am, the closer I am to God. Then you'd have these people in church history who wouldn't eat. They'd only eat a little bit, and then they wouldn't eat anymore. And they weren't, it wasn't necessarily fasting, but they were depriving themselves, right? Solomon says, there's no point to do that stuff, right? God, everything is given by a gift from God to us, right? Bread is, wine is, you know, food is, laughter, friends. Don't take those for granted, you know? If, if death is the end, right, from our human perspective, and we look at it, and death is the end, right? then we want to live our life It's fun. You know, finals are stressful and school's hard and you're just like, oh my gosh, I just want to sleep. Okay, that's fine. You know, sleep's fine. You don't have to feel guilty for that stuff. God invented sleep. And so, and you can use that for a hundred other things. Well, all that he's saying here is life is not this long, eternal thing that we're going to live on earth and never die, right? You're going to have a time where this will be your last day. Well, enjoy your life that you're living. You know, let your bread... You know, God has already proved what you do. Verse 8, he says, Let your garments always white, be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So I used to wear a lot of white when I was a kid. Well, I guess I'm still a kid. But when I was younger, I used to always wear white. And I'd actually use this verse as a, well, it says in the Bible to always wear white. That's not necessarily what that means. But what that does mean <clears throat> is that, again, white was a symbol of purity, of holiness, but, a, a, but of joy, right? Of, of something, a big event was happening, right? Solomon's like, every day is a big event. It's, all, it's like reading a teenager's Instagram wall, like, seize the day, you know, you only have this day once, right? That's basically what he's saying, you know, let, let oil always be on your head. 
And then he says in Ecclesiastes 9 through 10, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you were going. So the Hebrew place of dead was called Sheol, right? It's, it's their hell. And they had two sides of it. They had the Abraham's bosom or the, the paradise side, I should say. And then they had the Gehenna side, right? And this is how the Jewish people looked at hell. And so what Solomon's saying is that from our point of view, when you go to Sheol, right, when you go to the place of dead, you're not doing the same stuff we're doing. You're not eating and drinking and working and having a good time. He's not talking about like the Christian idea of heaven, you know, when you're going to be resurrected with Christ and reign and all those things. He's talking about the Hebrew idea here. He says, and so whatever your hand finds to do on earth, don't just do it like haphazardly. Like do with all your might because you're not going to have those opportunities available. And we're going to all bring this all around, but I'm trying to be faithful to kind of what the text is saying. We know, though, to enjoy life because we have the opportunity to do it, right? So do the things that you like and that make you happy. And regrettably, you don't think you'd hear that at a church, but he says in uh, 11.9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes, but know for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So Solomon, in all of these things, is basically saying, do what's going to make you happy as long as it's righteous, as long as it's right. Because if you do what makes you happy and it's not righteous, yeah, you're going to die and so am I. Like, what's the difference? Well, on the day of judgment, God's going to reckon all things into account. And so as far as it depends on us for righteous living, we should be righteous. Now we get to the hard part. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 to 13. Again I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So, three schools of thought I want to introduce you to. Late 1800s, there was a guy named Albert, or no, Frederick Nietzsche, okay? German philosopher, came up with the idea of Übermensch, right? In German is Superman, overman in German. And what he said is that we are shackled by traditional morality, which doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. You know, he said, God is dead and we have killed him, right? This is the same Nietzsche. He says, there is a, a Superman who needs to come up and enforce his own morality, right, on, on other people, right? He's the Superman. He's the Übermensch. He's what it does. And when Wagner wrote Siegfried, right, Nietzsche was like, here he is. Here's the Übermensch because now this is a guy who goes around and just does whatever the heck he wants, right? And almost a, finally a categorized ideation of might makes right. That was kind of Nietzsche's whole, uh, whole idea of, of the worldview. So that's going to be the first one, okay? The second one is... Let me see it here. Quantum physics, okay? They just awarded a Nobel Prize for some quantum physicists who were researching quantum entanglement. Second one, quantum physics says that if I know the location of an electron, I can't know it's what. Come on. 
right? It's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, right? If I don't know the velocity of an electron, I don't know if it's location, or if I don't know its momentum, I don't know its location of an electron, right? I can't know those two things with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. You know, we get this idea of these little balls spinning around this atom. It's proven physically that you will not know uh, one or the other, right? And it gets down to this point where it's like, well, what do we know? We get down to what we actually know. We don't know. That's what quantum physics thing says. Third thing, uh, evolutionary theory will tell you that <clears throat> billions of years ago, you know, 13.7 billion years ago, there was an explosion, and then time and chance, time and chance, time and chance, life happened. Time and chance, and 100 billion mutations, and then you get a fish, and 100 billion mutations, the fish evolves a little bit more to fit its surroundings. Like it or not, that's what evolutionary theory says happens, and that's how we're here today, right? That's that viewpoint. And I was thinking, no matter what you believe about all three of those viewpoints, right, some which I think are very logical, some which I think are biblical, some which I think aren't logical or biblical, no matter what you think about any of those viewpoints, those are very well-accepted viewpoints in our culture today. And Solomon is writing the same things that these people are now coming to the realization or the, what they're saying. He's saying the same things in this book that he wrote 2,000 years ago. To me, that's crazy. He says, the grace is not to the swift, nor battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. That's out of the page of a biology textbook probably today, right? To me, that's just incredible that you have a guy who is supposedly the, the most wise guy who'd ever lived on the earth, and he's writing things that we have only started to now, like, start to replicate, like, huh, it does feel like that. Because you, you have this idea of, the, of Christianity sort of being this backwards religion where people are like, oh, you know, Christians are just mind over their eyes, you know, they don't care, you know, they're just kind of going through life, right? Uh, Karl Marx said it's the opium of the masses. And then you have here, which is a super, like, groundbreaking writing that's in this book here, right, that's talking about the same uh, worldviews and ideologies that we're that we are coming to contact with today. So just logically, I think that's cool. I mean, just, that's just me personally. Um, but notice how he calls the net evil, right? So that's the first verse. The second verse, he says, man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net. And you can just kind of see it. A fish is swimming along, just enjoying its life, you know. It's just the same life as he always enjoyed before. He doesn't know that there's a fisherman above him with a net, you know, and he doesn't know that a fisherman's getting ready and just swoops him up in the water. And now to, that conforms with his ideology, right? But what makes it evil? What makes that bad, right? Well, that's what we're going to start getting into with Solomon. And he's like, well, this is the way it is. Why do I hate it, right? Why do I care? And we talked about that the first week. Um, and so that's, that's, to me, is just a crazy, like, way past its time part in scripture. We are going to finish off with 13 through 18, and then we're going to go actually go to Esther, because I'm dead certain that this is actually kind of what this is writing about. Solomon says, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So we have an army, a huge army, besieging a little city, right? And there's this guy in the city who's poor, 
but he's smart, he's wise, and he tells the king of that city, you know, what if we did this? And all of a sudden, they win this battle, you know, there's no more siege works, but they forget. And what's funny is that's actually a passage in Esther where um, the Jews have a feast of Purim, right? And what happened there is actually from this book. And so I'm going to read this here. This is literally almost the exact same as kind of what we read. So there's a king, there's a couple characters in the story, right? We have Haman, and Haman is the guy who hates the Jewish people in Esther. You're like, what does this have to do? We're going to get there. But you have to know the characters. Haman hates the Jewish people in Esther, can't stand them. And in fact, there's this Jew that he hates so much that he built these, I think they're 80-foot tall gallows so that he can hang the Jewish people on it, right? So that's the first one, Haman. Then you have Mordecai. He's, the, he's one of the Jewish men, and he is the uncle of Esther, who is the king's wife, right? So there we go. The king can't sleep. On that night, the king could not sleep. Like we're supposed to know, on that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, right? I wish I had a book of that. The Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, who, and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Right? So what happens is you have this story. Mordecai is this guy who is working in the king's house realizes that these two eunuchs are about to kill the king. So Mordecai tells them, hey, these guys are about to kill you. And the king says, oh my gosh, you're right. Sends them off. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who had attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there sitting in the court. The king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden and on his head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him to on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Right? So Haman, the bad guy in the story, thinks to himself, oh gosh, he's trying to honor me and he's trying to be all passive about it. Like, oh, what do you think we should do for the person who I want to honor? Haman's like, he's talking about me. And so Haman gives him this huge laundry list of like huge, crazy things that the king should do. The king says, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. And you have at the end of that passage, more, Haman, who has built gallows for Mordecai to be hanged on because he hates Jewish people, is leading Mordecai along the city in the robes and on this horse, leading him around, right, because the king wants to honor Mordecai. And so it's funny because you have this passage in Ecclesiastes which says, you know what sucks? What sucks is that sometimes, you know, there's smart people in life, and then they help people who are powerful. Then the powerful people don't know, and they don't remember, and it's no point because nothing exists, and you just kind of have this depressive teen of Ecclesiastes. And then you read in another point of the Bible where that's the exact same thing happened. 
where there was a man who saved a king, right, who saved this, sick from, this city from, you know, going completely under, completely forgotten, completely gone out into the ether. But there's a day of reckoning. There's a day of recollection. There's a day when the king reads what's been done. And as an encouragement to us all, there will be a day when no matter what you've gone through, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what you're struggling with right now, right? Well, if you, my friend treated me this way, and I, I don't understand because I've never been able to get this off my chest. They were so wrong, right? And you've been abused by the church. You've been hurt by people. You've been hurt by your family, right? And there's no reckoning, right? They just die like everybody else. You just want, bam, God's judgment right away, right? Nothing happens, right? And you're like, well, what's the point? There's going to be no reason. I'm just sitting here. I'm frustrated. I'm stressful. I'm stressed out, whatever. And what we even get from this Esther passage, which is almost, you know, is odd anyway, is the fact that sometimes even on earth there's reckoning. And you have the Hamans of the world leaning along the Mordecais, you know, as they're being honored with, in a situation that he absolutely would detest, right, leading this guy along. Right, because there is a reckoning. There is a day when it all will be made right. And as Christians, we know, and I've said this a billion times before here, there's a verse in Revelations, which was probably my, Revelation, which was probably my, the verse I'm most afraid of in the Bible. It says, and books were opened. And that's, that's the verse. And what it means is that when God has his great white throne judgment, he's in a click, and I just see, you know, 10 million angels around his throne, and you just hear the sound of paper as they're moving the books. And everything that you're doing, whether good or wrong, right, whether right or wrong, whether good or bad, whatever you're doing, um, is being written somewhere where God knows it. And it's, it's probably an analogy anyway for the fact that God knows it, but anyway. And if anything that you do, you know, God is going to be able, God has somewhere ready to bring it to account against you, right? And that's, that's scary. That's frustrating. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to hear that. Right? And, and I understand. But for the people who have wronged us too, God has that same list. God has that same list. And so it's easy. Sometimes people get so angry now, and I'm so angry with the politics right now, and I'm so angry with this person, and I'm so angry that I've been treated this way. And you, maybe you want to take it into your own hands, or you want to be passive aggressive, or you want them to feel how you felt. You know, once you hurt, then I'll be okay, because you should hurt the way you hurt me. And listen, as Christians, we don't repay wrong for wrong because we know there will be a day when all's made right. We know that there's a day when the, the God is going to bring everyone into account for the good or evil that they've done. And to close out, we know that as Christians, when we face a judgment like that, we're not going to face it like everybody else because we know God died for our sin. We know Jesus died for our sin and became a person and died on the cross for us. And so it's easy for us to be really frustrated and really wish, you know, punishment on other people or frustration or, you know, we're just angry or tired or frustrated or whatever it is. And what Solomon says is, you know, you get a Solomon who's like, yeah, well, really doesn't matter, you know, they just die just like I do, right? And from our human perspective, that's it, right? If I were an atheist, Hitler would be in the ground. And what was his punishment for all those things he did? Nothing. He just died, right? But as a Christian, I know that Hitler's not in the ground. His body might be in the ground, but his soul's before an omnipotent judge who's written down everything he's done wrong, Right? And the, he's written down everything we've done wrong too. But thanks be to God that we have a God who cared enough about us and cared enough about the issue of our sin that he died on the cross to save us from that, right? That's, that's the biblical message today. So don't let the Ecclesiastes part get you, get you afraid and depressed and all that, right? We have a God who spoke through the meaninglessness to reach out to us.
Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we're so thankful that we're just here tonight. God, we're thankful that we have an opportunity to be together. I've so appreciated these people in, uh, who come, and I've appreciated the people who listen online, God, and I've just, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I just pray that you would encourage our hearts tonight, as a lot of us, I'm sure, are feeling stressed or disappointed or tired or whatever it is, that you would just calm our hearts, God, that we know that we have boldness and access with confidence to approach your throne of grace because of your Son, that we know, God, that, that evil is an issue in our world, right? And there has to be an answer for it, and there is, right? There is a judgment of God, which is scary, which is frustrating because it applies to us as well. But we know that you cared so much about that judgment, about the fact that our actions have consequences, that you sent your son down to die for us. And we're so thankful for that, God, because without that hope, nobody could be saved. Nobody could get into your presence. Nobody could spend eternal life with you, God. But we have hope in the sacrifice only and in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No matter what happens in our lives down here, God, whether good or ill, no matter what something happens where we're like, oh, God doesn't like me or God's not, you know, God's angry, we know that God's not angry because God accepts the son of, or accepts the sacrifice of his son as, as binding for our sin. We're so thankful for that, God, and we pray that you would help us all live up to that and to your sacrifice. In your son's name, amen.